When I saw your picture with Naomi Campbell, I was like, ooh, yes. And she's gorgeous in person. I For thought it was real. a lot of Photoshop, but she's gorgeous in person. Yeah? Yeah. That's amazing. She's, she's, she's done in. And she just had a baby. Is it? Mm, girl. First, first child, yeah? First child. First, How old is she? Six In her 60s, I think, if I'm wow. not mistaken. Or, or approaching her 60s. Yeah. Ooh, in a day, she was a magazine ah. covers and you're like what hmm Naomi but she still she still is eh yeah gorgeous huh this one how does it run now is it on the correct side even Uh, yeah, I'm good. It's rolling. Okay. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another exciting episode. This is Titandala, the podcast. I'm your host. My name is Charlie. And like every other week, we get to give you the very, very best. And my guest today is a very exciting young lady and, uh, you know, very successful in what she does. Uh, first time we met, I, I won't even say how we met. <laughs> I won't even say how we met. But uh, we're going to get into that a little later on. And um, I would love to say that um, she is an inspiration to a lot of people, myself inclusive, because what she's been able to achieve in the short lifespan that she's had uh, on earth, you're not dying in time soon, don't Thank you. I was like, whoop. <laughs> Alina Karima is my guest for this uh, episode, and we're talking everything around her. If you might have seen recently, uh, just saw your pictures with Naomi Campbell. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> because she was my crush for the longest time. Naomi? Yeah. She's though. I don't Those magazine you. covers and everything. I was like, what? Music videos, the shoots, yeah. Yeah. She, she's actually one of the best, 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 best. But anyway... Um, Coming to you, like uh, a lot of people have been uh, wondering, we've listened to you on radio, we've, we've seen what you do. Mm. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Kitwe. Kitwe? Mm, Kitwe Central. Kopala Chik. Yeah. yeah. Kopala. Yeah. But uh, I would say I grew up in Chingola. We lived mm. Chingola and Kitwe. Yeah. But my growing up, where I felt like my, this is where my childhood happened, was Chingola. Chingola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And specifically, we lived in. A small, not small, compound named Chikola. So oh, it yeah. means like a, a cough with phlegm, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, that's what Chikola <laughs> means. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, that's the community. We, li- we lived there for, for some time. Yeah. I was raised by a single mother. Um, my mom's name is Matilda, and mm. it means something like the great or something great. And I think that really describes who she is. Yeah. Because as a single mother, taking care of three children and about maybe six other family hey, What happened relatives, to that? Uh, passed? We're not certain. I think so. I've heard rumors, you know, from 2008 that he passed, but we haven't had any confirmation. And mm. we have actively looked, my sibling and I, for yeah. him. Have you met him, like, before? Yeah. Just in, yeah. Oh, okay. Met him, yeah. How was, old were you when you actually had a first encounter with him? Um, 
My parents were married and then they divorced. So, but oh, they they split okay. before I was two. Their marriage was well. He was a very abusive man, mm. um, very abusive husband and father, and you know the. He was given a restraint. My mother was given a restraining order against him because yeah, yeah, yeah. he would abduct us a lot, and we would wake up. You wake up in Congo. There's blood in the hotel. You don't know where you are. You don't know how to speak the language. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. before that, we were just playing outside at home in safety with relatives. And he comes with a his whole group of people, whatever. We're being put in the back of a car. Oh, he did that to us so many times. Mm. My childhood was mostly spent in courts testifying against my father or recounting the traumas that he has caused us. Whoa. Mm. How old were you when you first like stood in court to talk? I don't remember how old I was um, the first time, but mm. the most, like the memory that stands out the most for me testifying against my dad in court was when I realized this isn't how a father is supposed to be. This is absolutely wrong. Right. And I think I was maybe four years old. It was, oh. yeah, he had again abducted us. I don't know where we were, but he had locked us in a room for a long period of time mm. and didn't leave us any food to eat. Only bought us food that day. And for the rest of the time, I had no access to a toilet, no food to eat. And I remember saying to my sister, my older sister, and she yeah. was she was very young as well. She was she was barely six. Mm. And I said to her, you know, um, I'm dying. I can see Jesus now. And I fainted. Because that was like, you, he nearly starved us to death. Yeah. And my sister was screaming, scratching on the doors for help, anything. And there were people that could hear us. We were in a really small room. That's what I remember. It was just yeah. one room. Not like a servant's quarter. Is it at a quarter. hotel? Is it at a No, house? no. It was some random place in Lusaka. But we were in Chingola. We lived in Chingola. But he had brought us to Lusaka. It was just a tiny room. Not a hotel. Mm. No. Just like... Um, I could say the size of like much smaller than a servant's quarter. It was just a tiny one room. Yeah. It had a door and not really a window, but like kind of ventilation and it was yeah. very high up and we were small, so we couldn't reach. But people there knew, I have no idea where we were, but people around knew that there were children in here because sometimes they would peep to see like, oh, you see, there they are. But whenever my sister would ask them for help, they would say, no, we're scared of your father. Whoa. Mm. So he left us there and he never came back. Mm. He just... He disappeared and went God knows wherever he went. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I fainted, when I passed out, I was unconscious and my sister was screaming, crying. And then people were seeing and they all thought I was dead. And so, you know, a lot of people, of course, gathered by that same window to see. I believe we were in some compound somewhere. Mm. That's where he had, he, he locked us up. And my sister was crying and asking them for help and saying my sister is dead or whatever and she knew my mom's number by heart and my mm. mother had also actively been looking for us with the police there was search warrants out for my father there was notices for missing children um she was not eating i love that woman so much i owe my mother my life wow and my sister she saved my life literally mm. and so she said just give me pass me throw me a phone i'll call my mother any phone very smart girl even yeah. now chanda my older sister very smart girl well I'd love to meet her <laughs> so <laughs> she'll smart. tell you so many yeah. stories so she was able to contact my mother she didn't know where we were i don't know exactly what happened after but mm -hmm. i'm sure she threw the phone back and Somehow, my mom was able to get in touch with one of my grandmothers, who is here in Lusaka, Granny Jane. Yeah. And she's the one that came with the police, and they broke it down and took us to the hospital. 
And I don't remember the rest except waking up and being safe. And yeah. then I testified against my dad. But he was so convinced. He was trying to convince the court that he did take care of us. He did leave us food. And up until then, I, I adored that man. I looked at him with adoration. Every yeah. time we would go to a new school, he would come, make noise, have us abducted. Teachers were afraid of him. And I would always tell him, like, this is the new school we're at. And my sister would, like, smack me in the back of the head, like, you wait. Don't say that. Mish- <laughs> And, and everybody would be like, what's wrong with this child? <laughs> yeah. But in that moment, I realized, like, no, this, this, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And I was too small. So yeah. I, I think I grew up too quickly. Mm. And he was trying to say, because he knew I would defend him. He said, Alina, didn't I leave you food? And, and I just wanted to tell the truth. And I said, no. And I was so conv- confused. Why? And yeah. he got so aggressive. I just was very terrified of him. And that's the last memory and the most distinct memory I have of testifying against him in court. Yeah. Yeah. How was life after that experience now? Like, now you're safe with your mother and... It didn't feel like we were safe. Mm. You know, it never felt like we were safe. We were always looking over our shoulder. Yeah, like maybe he might show up anytime yeah. soon. Mm. Every school we went to, it was kind of weird because people knew. Chingola is a small town. Everybody knew. You know, and nobody wants that to be bullied because, oh, the father is this. Oh, you might, you know. know. So when we came to Lusaka, it felt like here, maybe no one knows. Lusaka felt so big and different. Mm. But it was challenging because I started a new school and I just, you know, you're making new friends. And I didn't want them to stop being my friends. So I never spoke about my dad. I never told them anything i never said i had been abused i we had lived where we were so you had to keep people. it inside i did for mm. a long so at this time the whole family has moved to lusaka or is this my it's you know my mom the reason we moved was because she was able to educate herself put herself through through college mm. um work continuously work hard like i only got to see my mother in the morning and in the evening and during like school week sometimes I wouldn't even see her because I would go to bed early or we'll wake up together and you see her in the morning at night you don't see her because she was working when I say overtime tirelessly overtime mm. there was I don't think we even knew my sister my brother and I like we're poor yeah. because it just felt like there was so much love we always had food mm. but the adults maybe there was never enough food for them as well but my mother made sure we always had food she made sure our school fees were taken care of. And her resilience is really what made me the woman I am today because she knew that wasn't a permanent situation. Right. But she had so many people telling her because she went from being happily married, housewife, business owner, whatever, with this rich husband to now like nothing. So just her come up story, I mm-hmm. think, is the, it's the most inspiring story I have ever heard. I've met royalty. I've met VIPs, ministers, you name it. But my mother is the most phenomenal woman and person I have ever had the honor of knowing. Mm. So Amazing stuff. Yeah. Hey? It sounds like a movie. <laughs> now, uh, t- tell me, um, going through all this trauma and um, being able to find yourself, kind of take me through this process because, I mean, it, it takes a lot because... What you went through, a lot of people actually do break down. How did you pick yourself up and say, you know what, mm. this is who I am and I'm going to make it happen? I, I broke down several times. Yeah. Yeah, it was, very, it was very hard. Even now, some parts are still hard to like, address or talk about. Yeah. Um, I was four when that happened and the last time that I was abducted by my father. But it's still, 20 years later, it's still a healing journey. It's mm. every day. But the biggest difference was I stopped waiting 
for somebody else to save me. Yeah. My mother was there. My sister was there. There were some things we maybe never spoke about as a family. Mm-hmm. But I had people. I had friends. I just never opened up, right? Yeah. And I was waiting. I said, no, somebody will come and make it better. It's not me. Somebody will say something that will make it better. Will do something that will fix it for me. And that made me internally depressed because no one was com- No one was showing up. Yeah. Where is God? Like, Jesus, come down. Something, right? And you mm. realize... God has also a very I'm very like spiritual and religious so for me that's what worked for me for other yeah. people it might be something different but just getting so tired of no one's coming to save me and I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to try and figure out what to do with my life right and that's a lot of people yeah mm. I think we all struggle with internal things it might not be as big as being abducted by your father being sexually assaulted by family members or living in extreme poverty but we all go through things right Absolutely. and it's kind of like realizing as an adult no one I'm sorry but nobody is coming to save you yeah. you have to do that dirty mental and emotional work yourself yeah. you have to address and confront your traumas um, how have you dealt with them have you dealt with them at all how do you want to deal with them and accept that this thing or things happened and mm. I can't change them. For my like adolescence, I wished with all of my life and soul that I had a proper father. In high school, come back from holidays, everybody was talking about their dad. This, yeah, you know, I, just my dad like... almost killed, my dad almost <laughs> sold me to people. Where, <laughs> so yeah. you make up stories. It's like, oh, I went on holiday with my dad. He loves me. He takes it. And it was just, that's how I dealt with it. But that wasn't healthy anymore. And right. realizing like, I don't want to make up lies. I want to own my story. Mm. I want my story to be inspirational to other people that are going through similar things. Absolutely. I want to help people get out of the similar things. And I really felt it was was unjust and unfair my mother was able to get out of that we were able to get out of those situations that Mm. community because she had the exposure she had the education she had the skills um, to get herself a job and she kept improving on her skills because she was aware of that and other women other people they can do that too there's so many Alinas in so many different communities there's so many Matildas in so many different communities and they just don't have the right resources tools they're just not exposed not Mm. that they're not smart enough they're just not exposed as soon as you give a person exposure you give them opportunities that's all you have to do for them it opens doors for everything yeah 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 yeah. they empower themselves and they take their lives forward Mm. so it's just my organization I started when I was like 16 was, and it wasn't even registered at that time. It was just, it came from being frustrated, upset, depressed. I had just graduated high school and it's just saying I want to make a difference. And yeah. I think on a very personal level, I just wanted a reason to make it make sense. Why had I passed through all of this? Why yeah. I did nothing wrong? So it was kind of, I convinced myself God allowed for you to pass through this so you mm. can help others. So. Absolutely. I, I read somewhere, uh, it, uh, one of these uh, self-help books which says do not waste the pain that you're going through now Mm. and that spoke a lot because everybody goes through pain for a reason Mm. and for you it actually birthed a whole organization which I think actually uh, touched a lot of people and actually helped a couple lives yeah yeah we've impacted 12,000 young people and women to date wow Mm. we're gonna get to that so now, um, take me through the, the, the schools that you went through and um, up to where you actually did your university. <laughs> we changed schools so many times. Yeah. Mostly because of, you know, you go to a new school, you get taken away. But mm-hmm. um, Agape, Jacaranda, Elim, 
And then we started going to better schools as my mom's jobs improved and she took us to private school. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I graduated from Rhodes Park in 2012. Yeah. And then I got a scholarship. I started my organization, of course, and I was doing entrepreneur work. Mm-hmm. Mm, and I got a scholarship to the... So you started your organization once you were still in school? Or yeah. was it? So before I graduated... Yeah. I say when I was 16, but before I graduated, I was doing a lot of volunteer work. I was, whatever skills that I had, like it's communication, writing, reading, I would still go into different communities and do that. But that's just on like a personal human level. It's I just, I'm doing this just to Mm. contribute something to society or community. But when I figured I want to make impact and change a career for me, instead of uh, finding like a full-time job or whatever I said this is going to be my life my career yeah and you know how people say you know a balance between personal and professional for me there is, that balance doesn't exist because <laughs> really? this is my life's passion yeah, and work yeah, yeah. so in every space room I walk into at home I will talk about the work I'm doing with everyone or whatever space I'm in I'll talk about the work but mm. I was 16 when I decided I'm going to do this like Proper and I want to create impact in people's lives, like a real change. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. amazing stuff. So uh, this work has actually continued in your life to date. Uh, yeah. Tell me how you got into uh, the competition. That's how you uh, win a business pitch for hundred thousand. So US. that business pitch competition. I've done different things, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> We've even worked together how many times? Yeah, we we have. <laughs> We've worked on great projects together. So that's something that I would encourage young people: is mm. always try different things get involved in different things keep yeah. knocking on doors mm-hmm. opportunities won't come to you you rush you charge towards opportunity and then eventually you'll knock on the right door or you'll yeah. kick down the right door right so that pitch competition it's funny because i had seen it two years before i won mm-hmm. before i was part of it and i thought this is too good to be true this is a scam <laughs> talking <laughs> you about know, like, you want to help scammers around yeah. eh? you want to give me free money for for what <laughs> one idea like what are you talking about mm. so it's um a com- it's a pan-african competition right. they pick top 20 of africa's most innovative um brightest young entrepreneurs and leaders so it's a and you up you apply and yeah. the application process can be intimidating but i mean don't be scared if you want to apply for it it can be right. intimidating you apply you put down your business existing or idea mm. mine was already existing and yeah. i included my data my metrics which is why it's good to document and record it even if you're starting small even if you've just started this week you yeah. only have three customers make sure you start to record that data getting feedback as a young person yeah. what are you doing for your preliminary before you do a soft launch of this product in the market what are you testing mm. what gap in the market are you kind of like fixing right or filling yeah. But most importantly, is your business idea or initiative um, creating a solution to an already existing or foreseen challenge? That's what got me in is because they identified that about my strategy and my model. And mm. it's not like I did that specifically catered to the organizational pitch. Yeah. But I'm very grateful that I did. And they also identified that I was lacking in a lot of areas. So it wasn't just right. about the money. You do a residency at Africa Leadership Academy. Yeah. And the ALA franchise has been coined like the Harvard of Africa. Right. It's, and Fred Swanica's founding story is amazing. Mm. Whoever's listening and watching, do research so on amongst that. The applica- how many people like, do apply like, generally? Thousands. Thousands. It's thousands of young people. 
Um, I get asked this question a lot by people who are already in business. Unfortunately, you don't qualify if you're over 22. Mm-hmm. I was 21 at the time. That was yeah. 2018. So right. it, that, that competition is for 22 and under. Mm-hmm. But there's so many others for different like age groups and different business thematic areas. Right. So I would still say shoot your shot. Yeah. You know? So the, the application process was a bit tedious and intimidating but we got there and you pitched after your residency now you have to pitch your business plan module and have your big ask of how much investment money do you need Mm. and it's technically a grant with an investment you are meant to pay back the investor right but this was more like angel investment or a grant we didn't Mm. have to pay it back it's just to help you scale up because you're creating job opportunities for other young people in your country or community yeah Mm -hmm. so you you went ahead and went through all the other stages and Finally, you emerged as winner. Yeah, it was tough. We were, I wasn't the only winner. Yeah. Um, we were quite a, we were quite a few of us. I just mm-hmm. don't remember the exact number. So yeah, but I did also win. Um, I also took. They had several competitions within that competition. Yeah, they had most popular vote across Africa or something, which I took third place for. Wow! And I got to speak on a panel about Zambia, Zambian youth, and the change in the communities that we're bringing, and talk about the communities that I'm working in. Right. Um, young people just like me, and um, one of the. African entrepreneurs I look up to, Sim Zagaya said mm. of me that, you know, I'm Africa's future. So right. that for me, he probably says that to a lot of people, mm-hmm. truthfully so, but that for me meant something. Meant a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Being a person that uh, uh, has traveled a lot and seen um, how youths are doing in terms of business, entrepreneurship and uh, all of that. What do you think? Because now, if you look back at um, Zambia, for instance, eh, you will see that a lot of young people are deprived of opportunities, number one, because you see that in the neighborhood that they live, the shops where they buy their breakfast, their groceries or whatever are owned by foreign people. Mm-hmm. What, what is it about Zambian youth that is making us not step up to say, you know what, if, if somebody can come all the way from Burundi and have a shop right by my corner, I can have another one next to And the thing is, most of the shops that are owned by young Zambians do not even last that long. Is there any, any area that you feel we're lacking or yeah. there could be... In entrepreneurship, I think that Zambians are very enterprising and Zambian young people too. Mm. You know, but there are, of course, some young people that just just are just living and it's it's good to also just live and just exist yeah but you know do something with your life also there's a purpose and reason that you're here i believe so i think you've mentioned a few things number one i think foreigners succeed more um when they come to like a different country because most times they're running away from something in their country Mm. and for them it's do or die and we don't have that sometimes zambian youth we don't have that mentality because we're kind of sitting on a blanket of comfort it's not it's either i make it or i die and for me that's what it was right as well it was it's either i kill myself um because i was just depressed and or i just i try to fight this thing and i do something with my life so go hard for it like you have to be hungry for success to get to success you have to be willing to make the necessary sacrifices you have to be willing to analyze yourself and say these are my strengths these are my weaknesses i will work and focus more on my weaknesses so i can transform them into my strengths but sometimes i'm young people we just have this blanket of comfort because we have struggles in zambia but some other countries have it worse than us you Mm. know um exactly my thoughts 
that plays a huge role. And then you do see, just like you said, some young entrepreneurs and their enterprises don't go past that startup phase of five years. And it's for a lot of different reasons. I think there's a lack of financial discipline and understanding your business module canvas, revenue streams, Mm. and separating what money is yours personally, what Mm -hmm. profits are you using to pay yourself a salary. Overpaying yourself is a big thing. If your business is making 10,000 kwacha, you want to pay yourself 8,000 kwacha (laughs) and 2,000 for your business. Stop in the business No, pay yourself 2,000 kwacha, 8,000 for the business. You know what I mean? Financial discipline and just entrepreneur discipline as well and understanding your business module canvas. Are you buying something to resell just because it's popular in the market? Or have you actually identified a need for it and mm. a target audience or market specific? Like that will, you are catering to. Here, there's this gap and this is what I'm providing. Right. And here are your options. And these are my revenue streams. You can't rely on just one revenue stream for a business. You need multiple. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a hairdresser, my the service I offer, that's one revenue stream. Right. And then I can also say my other revenue stream is I will teach other um, people that want to become like hairdressers and own a franchise yeah. on hairdressing. That's another revenue stream. A third revenue stream is something like I will resell products and say, oh, I will manufacture my own like hair care products and say, you know, after I braid you, use this hair care. I think that's what makes an entrepreneur. And that's yeah. what makes a difference between an entrepreneur and a business person. Mm. Business people don't always succeed and it's I'll take whatever comes. And But an entrepreneur, you have, you've really thought it out. You know what I mean? Your business yeah. module canvas, key partners, key resources, um, key services, uh, supply chain, all of that. Mm. Mm. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, let's talk about how you um, got into the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. And uh, when does the call come to say, hey, listen, you're representing the country. Oh, my gosh. It was on Zoom. I screamed. For real. <laughs> Yeah, did you apply? How, how does the process work? No, I was hand selected. For real. So I had applied for Queen's Young Leader um, because I was doing a lot of work with my. I was walking from Chudley to town. Yo, I made the sacrifice. For real. Don't look and say, Alina, oh, she's met this and this. Us, no, I was walking in walking schooners, where? okay? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone from, from Zambia Catholic University will tell you. Like, mm. I was, I don't care what you're saying, I will walk because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I can see a future for myself that you can't see. For and that's real. what young people, we have the advantage of age. Don't, don't be embarrassed to, you know, um, take a break or say, I can't afford to do this right now. I'm focusing mm. on my future. That's okay. You need to make the necessary sacrifices to get to where you need to be. So that's what I did. I worked my butt off. I had applied for Queen's Young Leader before. I didn't get in. I applied again. Then I got in. Mm. And it was surreal because I also received a scholarship to this program with University of Cambridge ICE. Wow. For that specific, it ran only for five years. Mm. So... It's, it was an exclusive program and it came from the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen. Amazing. So, that was so you pretty graduated, even? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm an alumni. <laughs> graduated. Yeah. And that only ran for five years. So in April 2018, because of the success of Queen's Young Leaders and the number of young people across Commonwealth countries they had supported with you know, mentorship grants, um, the Queen wanted to create a lasting legacy, mm-hmm. something that will you know, memorialize what she has done for for commonwealth societies and communities. And I think it's always important when we're talking about commonwealth to remember how we are part of the commonwealth society yes. and communities. was through mm. colonialization, yeah. right? So I think it's it's a good place to start. 
the young people are Africa's biggest resource. So it's a good place, kind of a good place to start to a make amends place, for actually. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Queen's Commonwealth Trust was born in 2018, April, because of that, yeah. because of Queen's young leader and memorializing her legacy. And I was kind of inherited from QCT by from Queen's Young Leaders by the Queen's Commonwealth Trust yeah. they identified that I was a young person that didn't just participate and graduate the program I also contributed to the program ah. so there was so that so proactive eh <laughs> yeah so there was that as well and I was hand selected to be part of the organizing team yeah. for Prince Harry's visit to Zambia mm, to announce our partnership my yeah I remember that I was dope I was dope my organization becoming partner to the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, myself becoming a member, one of the founding members, and that's when the, the journey started. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, uh, how big of a deal is it, to, not only to you personally, but obviously um, to a lot of young people right now? Because, I mean, you coming from here already, uh, I'm seeing doors opening for a lot of young people as well. Yes. So, my job right now my recent trip was in London and that's where Naomi Campbell was my date I got the call off Zoom I was screaming I was wow like, ah. when I saw the pictures I was like yes <laughs> it was very hard to keep that secret I wanted to post immediately like listen I'm gonna be with Naomi Campbell <laughs> yeah, yeah you just had to wait for the pictures to come yeah, out yeah. Mm. Um, it was very hard to keep that secret for such like a, a long time right. and just get to meet her speak to her my role and why it's a big deal is because I was there in the capacity of a Zambian young leader of the mm -hmm. Commonwealth um, country and also to represent the entire Queen's Commonwealth Trust. But I wasn't just talking about young leaders across 54 Commonwealth countries. I was talking specifically about young leaders in Zambia, right. young entrepreneurs. What are some of the struggles that we face? Yes. What, are, what is the kind of support that we need? Where do I want to see a change? What can Naomi Campbell do to tap into her networks mm -hmm. to help me make more impact with young people in terms of grant opportunities, job opportunities? The Queen's Commonwealth Trust exists to champion, fund, and support young leaders. So how can we get more young leaders from Zambia supported by Queen's Commonwealth Trust and mm -hmm. all these new networks of these VIPs, important people, millionaires that I've been meeting in the UK at these events and also right. at St. James Palace. So that's why it's a big deal. So there's mm. a lot that's going to be unfolding in the weeks and months to come. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically opportunities catered for young people. So Amazing. I'm excited about that. Amazing stuff. So definitely you... Uh, I mean, part of your plan is obviously to help a lot of young people here to, to realize their dream. So now, in terms of um, uh, women mm -hmm. in our country right now, you see, like, you have to be a woman first before you are recognized as a CEO. Like, oh, she's the mother first, and then the CEO of such a company. What do you think these stereotypes are going to end? And is, is it a cultural thing? Because now I'm seeing, like, now we're a bit woke and we understand that women can take leadership roles and they're able to voice out in, 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 in spaces where was predominantly men. For young, a young woman looking at you right now and um, admiring all your achievements that you have done, what do you think is the first thing they need to look at when they want to realize their dream? So I think like patriarchy is in, has infested itself everywhere in the world yeah. and sexism is a product of that mm. and then culturally speaking as well it's like you said right it's I can't just be a leader I have to be this is Alina the woman leader yeah the woman there's always those I'm an entrepreneur I'm yeah. a leader I'm a business leader social leader 
don't put women in front of it. I am this. I'm a woman. I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. You don't see me saying this is Charlie, the male entrepreneur, the man leader. Yeah. You know, so let's cut that off. Those small changes will make a drastic difference because you're recognizing that women and men equally can make leaders. I gave a speech with Prince Harry and I said the future is female and I said it so proudly. But you know what? I've experienced a lot of growth and exposure and, and coaching and mentorship mm-hmm. and my words now would be the future is not female. The future is equality. It's diversity. Right? Mm. I stand for lots of different things. And it's also recognizing that we can't get to equality before equity. So we have to give women a bit more opportunities than what they've been afforded right now. We have to keep giving women myself included the chance to prove that they are well capable of this and if you look at most like recent events like on a global scale women i would say make better leaders than men you think so i know so <laughs> <laughs> would go in a lot of examples but yeah and and i'm totally loving it because i think if you look at most of most of the um, big banks in the country right now the ceos are, are women and mm-hmm. and it's about time it's about damn time. It's taken a long time, and uh, we, we're celebrating that because, I mean, look at this. Um, if you're going to give equal opportunities, like you say, to women and men, I shouldn't be hired. If we have the same qualification, I shouldn't be hired because, oh, we, we think a guy is stronger than... And these are things that still exist even in the workplace now. Like They'll be like, ah, female can do this job, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And the more we start... You know, exposing these uh, stereotypes and just saying, hey, listen, let's stop putting a woman uh, word in front of if you're going to be a CEO or like, oh, a female CEO of such and such a company. I think, I think it's about time. Yeah. I think it's really about time. So uh, what's the future of um, African leaders, especially young leaders in the country, um, looking at uh, where we are statistically in the country? Uh, we're looking at the situation where we're dealing with a lot of uh, things like right now we're talking about poverty, unemployment, and all of that. And all of these actually hit different when it comes to females because men, um, you know, men are expected generally to, you know, um, cope with these things. Mm-hmm. How, where are we uh, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, just, you know, seeing young people succeeding in the country, looking at the statistics of poverty, unemployment, uh, as well as um, literacy levels in the country? I think it starts with the recognition that this country is for the young people. The future of Africa and the country is the young people. We are the hope and even those younger than me, Mm. 13, 16. It's to stop making the assumption that young people don't know what they're talking about. That young people can't make good decisions. It's to remember to include young people in policy, decision-making positions, conferences, meetings, all of that. Mm. Recognizing that young people have a voice and opinion that matters on things. Because we experience these challenges. We don't want to be ruled by baby boomers who don't understand the challenges we're going through, who can't think innovatively and find you know, a solution for 2022 to a problem for 2022. Yeah. You want to... There's a thing called Sankofa, looking back to move forward, which is where mentorship comes in, which is mm-hmm. where people with more experience than us come in as advisors. Right. They come on board as advisors. Not Young people should be included in policy decision-making And also, young people being recognized by government as a key resource, right, to change. Um, 
and young people as well. This is for young people listening, holding government accountable to the promises that they make us. We're Absolutely. tired of being lied to. Don't dribble on us. We're not mm. like an ex or a girl you're trying to. Don't dribble. Don't. Young people in Zambia really, really need to step up in holding government accountable mm. for the promises, lack of good judgment, lack of um, proper opportunity for us, all of that. Hold right. government officials accountable. We have so many activist youth, but it needs to be a bigger number. Mm. And talking about holding the government accountable, I think you're really right because I think the previous election actually proved to say youth are the deciders, they're the majority. And, we are. Uh, and, and the power literally is in our hands. And if we're going to um, elect a government and just let it be because we won and we made the, our decision was accepted that, okay, this is going to be our leader, it ends there. I think we're doing a disservice not only to ourselves but as a nation as well. Mm-hmm. So we need to start holding leaders accountable, starting from your workplace, actually. You know, we need to have that voice and be able to um, you know, speak out uh, regards those issues. So now, um, what is the future for, what is the bigger dream? What is the future? Because I know you're not ending here. You're a dreamer. No. Like what's, what's, what's the future like for Alina? My whole thing is whenever someone asks me, what is the five-year plan? What is the long-term plan? I know what it is, yeah. but I don't want to share it because I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> and I really like the yeah. element of surprise. Right. People kind of ruin things for you. So exactly. that's something I've learned the hard way is, no, no, I'm, I'm working on me for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need to make any announcements yet. When it's done, then I will. Then I'll make noise about it. But while yeah. I'm in the process of it, I'll keep to myself and... But some, for some people, I know they share publicly, and that's okay. It's what works for you, right? Yeah. So this is what I found works best for me. Well, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So now let's get to what happened to the cook show. I was a huge fan. Alina, what happened? It'll be back. <laughs> yeah. So that's like your hobby. Apart from everything else that you do, you, you love to cook. I love to cook. Um, I'm an award-winning chef, self-taught. Yeah. But my first cake I baked with Millimil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not it's supposed to be funny, but flour is white. <laughs> I didn't know better. I didn't know yeah. better. But no, I love to cook. Yeah. I I haven't really been creative in the kitchen for some time now, just because. You're busy. Yeah, but I want to get back into it yeah. sometime. I've started slowly, mm-hmm. so we'll see. Maybe that's one of the plans for the future for me. Yeah, yeah, that'll be amazing. Well, you need to bring up, bring back your show. Yeah, bring back your Charlie show. will come cook with me as well. Can you cook, Charlie? Yes, I can cook. You thought about it too long. <laughs> <laughs> I can boil eggs. I oh, can, no. uh, you know. Oh. All that kind of nice stuff, you know. Like, you know what it is with, with with. I always, I even joked about it on Twitter the other time. Like, you want to cook, you get a you get a recipe from probably one of those channels, and then you're like, I'm gonna try to make this. Then you realize that you do not have rosemary, you do not have mm. what? Why? Just like ah, you know what? It's I okay. love carpenter. Let's <laughs> let's rock. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. It's amazing. It's it's crazy stuff, man. So. Um, I always ask this question before I let my guests go. Um, okay. What legacy do you want to leave behind as Alina when it's all said and done? My impact. I want to create lifetime of impact that goes mm. beyond me and what started off as my personal mission to make a difference. I yeah. want to make an impact in people's lives. They will be the legacy that I carry on. It's I was able to do this because... They were able to do something, accomplish something great because I gave them a platform or resources or tools or skills or help them create that empowerment for themselves and that they will 
on their journey, really transforming people's lives, creating more Alinas like me from the compounds where I also came from. Same like me, that they should also be speaking at St. James Palace. They should also be getting recognized by royal family and, and the like. Ah, amazing, powerful. Alina, I gotta give you this. Thank you. <laughs> that was so powerful. Thank you so much for speaking to us on the podcast today. Thank you. And You're you know awesome, what? Charlie. Wishing you all the best in all your endeavors, and you're really a true inspiration. Thank you. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where we close right here for this particular week. I've been talking to Alina. Now, listen, before, I, before <laughs> we even go, listen, if people that want to follow you, how do they catch you on socials? Okay, my Instagram is Alina Lee Karima. Yeah. On Twitter, it's at Karima Musama. And Facebook, again, is Alina Lee Karima. All right. Alina, keep shining. Thank you, Charlie. We right. keep rocking. Till next week, we're out. That was so good. You make stuff. it so easy. Listen, your story is amazing. Aww. It's not even anything that I even thought that I was going to ask you about, but you bringing it out, I really